Hey, everybody, and welcome to True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. This is Katie Weaver. I'm here with my partner in crime, Christy Brower. Hello. Hey, everybody. Hey, excited to be here today. Yeah, we've got all kinds of things to share. Christy, how are you? I, I'm i doing okay. Um, I attempted something over the weekend that it's possible maybe I've gotten a little too old to do or <laughs> a little too arth- arthritic to do. I'm sort of famous for not acknowledging my age or potentially physical limitations. I've been known to do some stuff as I've gotten older that seriously harmed myself. And I'm 44. I'm not like old, but I am middle-aged. <laughs> and uh, this weekend, we took a road trip to Crystal Park, Montana, which is a beloved place in our family. And you go there and you hike up the mountain and you dig you dig quartz, right? Well, <laughs> turns out that getting down in a hole and digging on your hands and knees for hours mm-hmm. gets old, gets harder as you get older. And uh-huh. considering that I have rheumatoid arthritis, when we first got there, I kind of had a deer in the headlights moment. Like, oh, holy shit, what have I done? I don't know <laughs> if I can do this. I don't even know if I can get down on the ground. And then if I do, can I get back up again? Because I have, you know, when you have RA, you have really stiff joints. Yeah. Well, I managed to get down. But okay. then anytime I had to get back up again, it was really hard. And, you know. And yesterday I, I, I joked that I felt a little like I'd been run over by a train the day after. I'm a little better today. Like I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. I think I'm going to recover all right. So I'll be okay. But it was one of those moments of like, oh yeah, I forgot. I'm five years older than the last time I did this and I now have RA. Oh yeah. Hmm. I know. But digging crystals at Crystal Park, I, I mean, that is, that's a hard you know, I guess the, uh, I thought, you know, if I go up there, I need to be the guy that sits in a chair with the sifter mm-hmm. and has other people shovel, you know, stuff up out of the holes that I can sift and clean. Cause yeah. I, uh, yeah, I was digging in this sort of cave that I built and then uh-huh. when it would get too full of dirt, uh, my son and my nephew would have to take turns, uh, shoveling it all out for me because I could not uh-huh. do it. And they weren't super thrilled about that, but oh, well, well this is why know. we have children, right? That's why they were invited. Come on. Come to the party. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you guys went anyway and had fun. And that was really cool place. It's such a beautiful place. And we Mm -hmm. had the funnest little um, chipmunks who obviously must get all kinds of food from people up there. Oh, yeah. Because we had these two little chipmunks and my nephew, Jackie, named them Chip and Monk. And Chip and Monk um, were determined to get into Jackson's cooler. And then Jack had left his backpack open and they kept running in there and rummaging around and then coming back out. And they hung <laughs> with us the whole time because Jack tripped oh. and fell and spilled some uh, Pringles. And so oh. they actually got some food out of us. And then they were our buddies for the whole time we were there. They were the cutest. They'd get so oh, close and Jack fun. would talk to him and they would just look at him really intently and they'd come closer. And it was really cute. So it was a great time. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, I'm yeah. so glad. How fun. Well, that is the coolest place. It, oh, is, it is in Montana at the very top of the Pioneer Byway. And yep. the elevation is nearly 10,000 feet. And so it's really, it, high. it's really high. And just, you know, pulling your wagon and hiking up the hill is a pretty good workout uh, all in itself, mm-hmm. especially with the elevation that high. And, and we then, went clear up to the top. Yeah. I insisted stupidly. <laughs> Well, we were it's going the top to the of a mountain, and it is absolutely full of smoky quartz and clear quartz and amethyst, mm-hmm. and it's really well known for the scepters that it has, which is, I wish I had one to show you. Have you got one in front of you? Uh, yeah, this is a scepter. Sorry if I can get in front of the camera. There we go. This yep, is a scepter, scepter from Crystal Park, Montana. That is, mm-hmm. a, I dug that up there my very own self. Yeah. Yep. So a scepter, basically, if you're not seeing this and you're listening, is, uh, I mean, it looks like a queen's scepter, right? It has mm-hmm. a crystal that is thinner and longer. Yeah, or, like or the handle. And, yeah, and then a larger, like, point at the top. Yeah, this one is a really smoky cool. amethyst. This is a my prized possession, this stone right here. Yeah. Because it is the biggest thing I've ever dug up. <laughs> oh, Yeah. And, you know, people pull prizes out of there. Sometimes you go and dig all day and come home with a lot of little things. Sounds like that's what you that's guys did. That's pretty much what we did, yeah. And it was all clear. We didn't really get into We got a tiny bit of smoky. We didn't get any amethyst at all. No amethyst. Ah. Well, anyhow, if you guys are ever looking for a cool place to dig. And, and what it costs to dig up there is five bucks to park. Yep. That's it. That's it. Yep. Pretty cool. It's outside of Dillon, Montana. So, mm-hmm. you know. 
And maybe someday we should go up there and dig and do a live. That'd be really fun. That'd be really fun. You can't do a live up there though, because there's oh yeah, no cell service. No service. That's right. No, and there hasn't ever. But no, but we could make a video anyway. So just so you know, that's a cool place. Well, I'm glad you lived through it and everything. Mm -hmm. I did. (laughs) I wondered. I'm like, you know, if I'm down for a week, I can't do this again. But today, I'm quite a bit better. Going, yeah, okay, I can, I can do it. Yeah. Well, good. Well, good because we were planning on going again this fall. I know, and I want to. However, one of the coolest things we're planning for this fall is we want to do uh, maybe a road trip, a two-day road trip of a cemetery tour. Yes. So we are working on, there are some really cool cemeteries around us in Idaho and Montana. And we're working on putting together a list of we want to visit and graves we want to visit and stories we want to tell you. So that's going to be coming. Yeah. We're not entirely sure when. It'll probably not October, be maybe. Yeah, later, later in the fall. But that's going to happen, and we'll take you guys along for the ride. It's going to be fun. We so it'll will, be like yeah. True Crime Paranormal goes on the road, and we're just mm-hmm. going to go be chilling at old cemeteries. Mm-hmm. Our mother was an old cemetery aficionado. She sure was. We couldn't visit any town that she didn't have to go check out the cemetery. It's probably why we're true crime junkies, honestly. Truly, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, we, we have no choice. We have to do it. <laughs> no, I think it's a great idea and we'll tell yeah. some very cool stories and find find the graves of people and tell their stories and we'll do some channeling of them and it's going to yeah. be really fun. It is. So if you guys have a cemetery that you want to suggest in the Idaho, Montana-ish area, we probably won't go further than that this mm-hmm. time. Uh, let us know. We'll consider mm-hmm. it to, to add it to our docket. Definitely. Yeah. Well, today's show, uh, we are talking a little about our road trip a few days ago, and we're, we're continuing to work on the Dior Kuntz case. Yes. So remember that baby Dior Kuntz disappeared on July 10th, 2016, 15, 2015, uh, from mm-hmm. Ledore, Idaho. And uh, that's the case we're covering right now. So we got in the car a few days ago, and you might have seen the live. We did do a little live from the uh, Timber Creek area, but... The, the Timber Creek Creek. <laughs> or the Timber, Timber Creek. Creek Crick, if you're from Idaho. Yeah. There's, there's the Timber Creek uh, or Crick uh, campground and then the the actual creek. But anyhow, <laughs> Crick Creek. How do you say it about it more time? It's killing me. <laughs> waterway. It's a waterway, okay? Sure. It's a very <laughs> small trickle of water, actually. It's not totally. very big at all. Yeah, yeah. So... We went up there and did a live. We had quite an adventure. Uh, you know, road we trips did. with us typically are. We have kind of been those people that if something stupid can happen to them, it probably will, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we want to tell you about the trip itself first because what the hell. So it's about a three-hour drive from our homes. So we met up in a central area and got in Christy's car. She drove. We drove out there to Ledor, the booming metropolis of <laughs> Ledor. Which Population is, 80 people, I believe. Yeah, it's, it's a very small town, if village. Nearly all the businesses are closed. <laughs> There's yeah, hardly even nearly, anything that's open. Nearly, yeah. So we got into town, and the first thing that happened is that the initial map we looked up took us in absolutely the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. GPS yeah. out there, not so good. Mm-hmm. So we figured out where we were going. We got got up to the campground, which was fine. Uh, there were people camped there, which uh, kind of sucked because we couldn't get as much footage as we wanted because, you know, you're not going to film people. <laughs> we, we did a little bit. We'll show you. We'll show you as we're talking uh, the campground. So when you pull in, if you can even call it a campground, I mean, it's tiny. When you pull in. It's two sites. I mean, yeah. one of the descriptions that I read was it's really two fire pits with some picnic tables, which it really is. I mean, that's. Mm-hmm. And that's Idaho up in the mountains campgrounds. I mean, they're not maintained. And, you know, there was an outhouse. Mm -hmm, Like a BLM or Forest Service outhouse. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. And then so we drove up there first and we took a little footage. And in the video that we're showing you, you'll see that campground. The side of it is a side hill. Mm -hmm. It's a side hill that is really, really woodsy. And one of my first thoughts was I can't fathom a two-year-old climbing up this. Mm-mm. I really can't. No. I, it, it's very steep. And that was one of the things that kind of, because, you know, we're going up there and we're kind of trying to put ourselves in the shoes of a two-year-old. Yeah. Where would a two-year-old go? But to get to the creek, you either have to drive down the road or you could walk down the side of the, you know, from the campsite. But again, 
very woodsy, very brushy and, and steep. It's and a steep, steep little ravine. The, mm-hmm. the, um, ed, the banks of the Creek are a steep little ravine. You don't just walk right up to the Creek. It's not like that at all. No. And again, I went, I don't see a two-year-old doing this. No. And brushy and no, like down trees and, you know, mm-hmm. like thick, you know, undergrowth and stuff that even a person of my height, whole five foot would have trouble getting through, let alone a two-year-old. Yeah. But we pulled down another road. There's an upper and a lower campground. Uh, turns out they're both right there, but we, we didn't know. We weren't sure that what the next, the road that went down the hill would take us to. And so we drove down and discovered it took us directly to the creek. Mm-hmm. And the, the creek like must get into lower the creek. Into the creek. Yeah. So we parked, you know, we didn't drive into the creek, but that's one thing we did right. But (laughs) we got down there realizing, oh my God, you can't turn around. We will have Mm -hmm. to back up out of this, up the steep hill to get out of here, which is mostly okay. But Mm -hmm. um, so we got out, we did a live, we talked to you guys. And then I said, do you want me to like walk behind the car and guide you? Because, you know. It was really, I couldn't even see the road behind me because yeah. of how it was. So Christy says, yeah, yeah, yes. So she jumps in the car and I'm standing there and I hear the hood pop. <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> I actually tried to close it. And she's like, no, I did that on purpose. <laughs> she jumps out of the car. She runs around the side, opens the hood. And she says, just a minute. <laughs> and this is what she has in her hand. <laughs> this is a bottle of water drops, like a Mio bottle, right? This is what she has. This is her toolkit. Uh-huh. So she opens the hood and I look at her battery and I see the most horrific, corrosive mess I've ever seen. And she starts pounding on the uh, the positive terminal with the Mio bottle. Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, is the car dead? <laughs> She says, yes. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God, we are in trouble. And she said, this hasn't happened in a while, but this usually fixes it. So this was it, you guys. This is her handy dandy toolkit, a meal bottle. And so she pound, 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 pounds really hard. And there's like, you know, battery corrosion dust flying everywhere. And, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, what are we going to do? How are we going to? You have to ask some people for help. I hope they're not serial killers. Oh, Jesus. So anyway, she gets in the car and it starts right up. So she's <laughs> the master of fixing the car. So anyway, you know what she's getting for Christmas? A toolkit, for God's sake, because this is not a tool. I don't actually have any tools in my car. Well, the other thing that you missed is on the way to the campground, yeah. you take this road that is really just a path of big rocks. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. And so it's bumpy and vibrating and we're going along. And all of a sudden I hear this boom, like a gunshot. And it was my rear view mirror falling off and hitting my gear. Yeah. It flew off of there. Yeah. So, um, turns out it gets loose sometimes, which I didn't know that, but I, it hadn't fallen off in a while. My car's been okay for a while. I kind of <laughs> forgot about these problems. <laughs> So in order to back up out of the creek, um, I had to get the rearview mirror back on too. So Yeah. I did though. Yeah. And then Katie guided me and I got up out of there okay. Yeah, she did. She did. <laughs> the great guide. I'm like, do this. Do this. <laughs> Just try to tell her how to turn her wheel. I don't know. I It worked. We got it out. It worked. We got out. Yeah. But so then know, we drove. Well, but- as we were in the campground though, uh, also our gas light came on. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> And <laughs> we might not be allowed to take road trips after this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the light came on and she's like, it's okay. We've got 72 miles. Well, it's only like, what, like eight miles to the campground from Ledworth. Mm-hmm. But it's like a 40 minute drive because you're yeah. on these horrible roads. So roads. we make it back to Ledworth and on fumes, I think. But we make it. We're fine. We did. We, did. We're good. we pull into the gas station and... The gas pump itself is wrapped up with tape and is, yeah, like caution tape and is defunct. Also, we discover the gas station is actually closed indefinitely. So that's not going to work. And now, oh my God, we are in Ledwar and out of gas. Now what? Because there's nowhere, there's nothing for a gazillion miles. Yeah, which is Mm -hmm. quite a ways. So ask, you know, I do what any smart kid does. I ask Google. 
to take us to the nearest gas pump. Turns out there was a gas pump next door from where we were. It's not a business. It's just a gas pump. But there was one. Mm -hmm. So we pull up to it, and there's a car that looks like it's pulling into the gas pump. So we sit and wait, and they do anything. We wait more, and nothing happens. So we finally pull up a little further, and I went, I don't know if anyone's in that car. So Christy pulls right up to the pump, kind of cuts them off, but, you know, they weren't mm -hmm. doing anything. And then we realize there's a person in a driver car that is passed out or like slumped over, slumped over, no shirt on. It was like, it was a man, uh, but, but anyway, anyhow, and I went, oh my God, is that person, are they okay? Christy's like, well, maybe they're just looking down at their phone. And I went, I can't see them breathing. Like we this sat is there not... for a minute and they were right. like, they, they were not looking at their phone. <laughs> no. So Christy gets out. I'm like the big coward in the car. I'm definitely, you know, the, the shaggy and Scooby of this organization and Velma, you know, gets out of the car. <laughs> I'm definitely the Velma. So I get out of the car and I go up to the window and it's rolled partway down. And this guy is just slumped over in the driver's seat with his eyes closed with some weird eyedropper thing on his pant like on his sitting on his pants which you know made me question what he'd been taking and i said hey hey are you okay no response i'm like i don't want to touch this guy i don't want to reach in there i'm freaked out what if he's dead you know i don't know anyway <laughs> he looked dead he did um and, and so i'm like hey man are you okay and and then i yelled hey man are you okay and he kind of sits up and he looks all confused and he's like oh uh, 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 oh yeah 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 i'm okay and I'm like, look, whatever this is, I don't want to, <clears throat> I don't want to be a part of this. So I walked away and pumped the gas. And, and he while drove I pumped away. the gas, he drove away. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, great. He's out driving on the highway now like that. Well, I had actually, I had undone my seatbelt and was opening my door because I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy is dead. <laughs> and I made Christy go up there by herself. <laughs> and what is, oh my goodness, you guys, we are chickens. I'm a chicken. It was chicken. Anyway. <laughs> I'm not, but, you know, I'm not real big on finding dead bodies personally. Just, yeah. you know, as much as I like true crime, I like someone else right. to do that part. But seriously, he looked like he wasn't breathing. It was so bizarre. Oh, yeah. So we pump gas and we pull out onto the road and we see him. He's pulled onto the highway and off on the shoulder. We pull up there and he is passed out again, just like just that. slumped over in the same position. <laughs> yeah. And so then we go, okay, we have to call the sheriff because this guy is either having a medical emergency or he's so inebriated he's going to hurt himself or somebody else. Yeah. So we go back, we get his license plate number, all ISP, that's the Idaho State Police, and, you know, answer their 40,000 questions. And in the and then we turn the car around and come back. And in the meantime, he's gone again. Like, what is happening he's driving here? driving small distances, which you shouldn't be at all. So we pulled down because we wanted to get a good picture of the lead or store to show you guys because it, you know, ties into the actual story we're here to tell you today. Yes. And he's at the gas pump, pumping gas. And a few minutes later, gone. And he did not come out on the highway because we would have seen him. We were standing there taking pictures. Mm -hmm. I have no idea where he went. I just really hope that he is okay and that nobody got hurt in whatever yeah, was going on. Me too. It was a really bizarre situation. <laughs> and like, who would have thought that we're out doing our investigation here and we had crossed a dead guy? Right. We had to report a crime while uh, reporting on a crime. <laughs> we would have had a double report. We still do. Yeah, we still do. So then we left town. We start driving down the road and we have not gotten very far. And standing off to the side of the road is the biggest antelope I have ever seen. Oh my gosh, a huge male with these huge, huge horns. Male. He was absolutely gorgeous. And Christy and I see him at the both, both at the same time and we're both going, no, no, no. Because they are famous for racing right out in front of your car. Oh, they are. They were literally standing like on the pavement on the other side next to the white mm -hmm. line. Like it was so close. I'm like, just dude, just take a deep breath. Just chill. We're both like. And he did. Stop. He didn't run out right there. He was chomping on grass, just watching was, us go. He was like watching traffic while he was eating his lunch. It was really funny. Mm -hmm. The rest of our trip, you know, was uneventful, but that was enough. We did arrive home safely. Yeah, but it was a pretty yeah. eventful experience. We did learn a lot just by being there. Yeah, we did. It, it helps so much, I think, to just really get a feeling for something to go. One of the things that really struck us is what a tiny place it is and how 
there is such a tiny little one lane track road in there mm-hmm. and people can see you coming from a long ways. And, you know, the idea that someone snuck in there and kidnapped this baby is absolutely asinine. There totally. is no way you're getting in there without somebody seeing you. There just isn't. No. Between the hillside and the creek, it's kind of in a, it sort of comes to a point as a triangle in the back mm-hmm. of there. There is no way even just walking in to get in there without someone seeing you and to grab a child who would then scream and to get mm-hmm. out of there without getting caught. No way. Mm-mm. No. It not is not happening. And you'll not- see it in the video about what a small place it is. But the, no. we watched the people who were camped there watch us pull in and pull out. And we pulled in and out twice. And I really kept mm-hmm. expecting one of them to come and say, can we help you? Um, mm-hmm. Because they were watching us because we were right there in their camp. Like you can't, yeah. there is no way. There's nowhere to hide. There's nowhere to hide, hide a vehicle. No, And it's not a quick uh, um, escape either. You cannot no. drive fast on those roads. You will blow your tires. Because oh, of the totally. rocks, there's you can't just bust it out of there. You can't. Mm-hmm. So it, it it that really um, for me solidified. No way did somebody come in there and steal that baby, and no one saw it happen. There, it did right. not happen. But also the creek, yeah, the creek is full of deadfall. Yeah, brush, very shallow spots. Yeah, I can't for the life of me imagine a kid getting falling into that creek and, and and of course they they searched the creek multiple times and didn't find anything but i can't imagine thinking that any child could get very far mm-hmm. or at least their body would be discovered because there were so it, many it hung in up the area, right in the area that we explored that was just right you know down from the campsite there were many many things that would have you know gotten a, a kid would have gotten stuck on a body would have gotten stuck on yeah the idea of him getting you know lost in that creek is implausible to me. No, I mean, it literally was inches deep in some places and maybe, maybe a foot at the deepest that I saw. I mean, it, it's not a deep, it's not deep water at all. It, it also, I thought was curious that, you know, there was quite a bit of talk of them fishing in that creek because uh, there are no fish in that creek. How could there there is be no fish way. in that creek? It was so shallow. And obviously d- during certain parts of the year, it's shallow enough that you can drive through it. Yeah. Yeah, because that, that road continued through it. Right. That did not look at all to me like a place that would be full of fish at no. all. No. And believe me, our dad fished mm-hmm. a lot. Yes. Well, we we know where all the fishing places are. <laughs> <laughs> we were drug out on thousands of fishing adventures. Yes. And I'll tell you right now, my dad would have fished in that. Be- no, there's no fish no. in there. There, there's a reservoir near there called Stone Reservoir, and that's where people fish mm-hmm. out in that area. They mm-hmm. don't fish that creek. There's no fish in there. No. Lots of uh, things that really easily debunk significant parts of this story yeah. to see it physically and realize that there's no way those things could have happened there. No. No. So we each uh, took a couple of the main players to give you a little more deeper report on today. Yeah. And then uh, the next episode, we'll do a psychic analysis of what we actually think happened. It's important to note that the stories of the main players, except for Isaac, changed many, many times. Yeah. Uh, The parents were interviewed between the times they were interviewed from law enforcement and the FBI and the multiple uh, investigators on this case and news organizations. They never once told the same story. No. It was always different. And so I'm going to start with Jessica. And yeah. More of a rundown of who Jessica was. Uh, now, Jessica, of course, is your mother, right? Mitchell yeah. at the time. Mitchell, yeah. My old mom. She had two children before Dior that she had, uh, that were in the custody of their father. And some people thought that was a little strange. Uh, it sounds like uh, financially it was a better situation for the kids. And that's at least that was her. Her ex had the custody, had the custody of the kids. It's not necessarily a, a smoking gun of anything, except for that. Uh, it, that just doesn't happen very often. You know, typically, at least in Idaho, stay in the care of their mothers, you know, when mm-hmm. divorces and things happen. And But it is, uh, you know, it is indicative of, I think, the struggles that she has had in her life, you know, that 
yeah. financially uh, she wasn't really capable of hanging on to these kids and taking care of them. Mm-hmm. And so, and there was talk that the reason they decided to go on this trip was to celebrate that Jessica had had a job and kept it for six months. The job was taking care of grandpa. Yeah. There's so many stories and so much stuff that is so very clearly made up. Yeah. Grandpa, of course, was was Jessica's great grandpa. Uh, he was the father to her mother, Trina. Yeah. And so we'll get a little more. That, that's the situation with Jessica. So she and uh, Vernal were not married. They were just together. Mm-hmm. And they were living in a basement apartment below their aunt. And taking care of grandpa. That's what she was up to. Yeah, and her little one, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jessica at first said that they were going to explore the campsite and asked grandpa to watch the baby. And then when they came back, he was taking a nap and said he didn't know that he was supposed to watch the little one and he was gone. That's changed many times since then, but that was yeah. what she initially told law enforcement. She also, um, there's some big questions about when they actually arrived at the campground mm-hmm. because they were dishonest about that as well in the beginning. And uh, that's another part of the story that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, when they actually got there, she also had said that she had never met Isaac before. Yeah. Uh, later on, she admitted she had been to his home five times. Mm-hmm. So she uh, yeah. a lot of lies and inconsistencies there that didn't make very much sense. I, the week after or within the week after the, that Dior disappeared, they were at FBI, an FBI office in, uh, I believe in Pocatello, Idaho, talking to law enforcement there. And when they left there, they went to a sex shop and bought some sex toys and the clerk in the shop recognized them from, you know, all of the media flurry that had been happening right. and was just confused by their behavior because they were laughing and joking and playing and acting like they hadn't a care in the world. And literally there were still search crews in Ledor combing those hills looking for their son and they're living it up in a sex shop. And yeah. People were very concerned about that kind of behavior and weren't really sure what that was about, you know, but it was concerning enough to the person who was working in the shop that they contacted law enforcement and said, I just want you to know that this is happening, you know, that this happened. What the hell? Is this how grieving parents act? Is this how people whose child is missing and there are search crews still combing the area are behaving? It is just all really strange, really strange. So of course they did what in Ledwar. They came home. They did camp there for a little while and continue to look, but it was just, uh, you know, all of the, the strange inconsistencies in their stories, eventually, you know, going back home to Idaho falls, they broke up. So they broke up and actually they broke up after they were named suspects because right. they were eventually suspects. And when they, were named suspects. They broke up. Uh, Vernal took a job as a truck driver out of state. And within the year, Jessica was remarried. Yes. Yeah. That took her family by so much surprise that her mother said she didn't even attend the wedding. Yeah. She was so thrown off by that. Uh, everything is just so incongruent in this case. It, it is. It is. There's so much unknown here. So much that we just... I don't know that we'll ever really know truly what's true because these folks have not told the truth from day one. No. And in the very beginning, they hired a PI Mm -hmm. and that, well, they didn't hire it. They said they hired a PI. The PI says he was never hired. He was working on out of his own pocket Uh because he was, you know, interested in finding this kid. So remember Dior disappeared on January or July 10th. So this letter was written on September 25th. So just two months later. So this is written by the first investigator out of Montpelier, Idaho. He says, Dear Dior and Jessica, as I previously informed you today via my text to your cellular telephone at 8.31 a.m., 
I am withdrawing from the investigation because of circumstances beyond my control, including but not limited to a breach of trust on your part concerning your refusal to allow me to make this case national. I am perplexed as to why you did not want me to advertise the $20,000 reward. I was willing to put up personal funds in hope that the public could provide information leading to the whereabouts of your son. When I agreed to assist you, I informed you that I would work for you out of my pocket expenses. I was willing to forego my normal hourly fee. My stipulation was that both of you would be absolutely truthful. I told both of you that if I felt you were not telling the truth, stalling me or otherwise misleading me, I would withdraw from the investigation. In my professional opinion, both of you lied and misrepresented the truth and the true facts that could solve the mystery of your missing son. There are other aspects of this case that I cannot go into at this time, but simply put, I believe that the searches will all be non-productive. The searches are only used by you to cover a possible crime that one or both of you may have committed. My suggestion is that you fully cooperate with the Lemhi County Sheriff and tell the truth. I do not appreciate the fact that one or both of you are spreading rumors that you have paid me. I have not received reimbursement to cover my expenses. I also feel that you are exploiting the public for financial gain. How can you live with yourselves? Sooner or later, the truth will come out. And that was written by the first investigator, Frank Vilt. Yeah. Well, and what he's talking about there is that there was a massive GoFundMe Mm -hmm. for this family. Like, over $100,000, wasn't it? Yes. It was a huge GoFundMe. A huge GoFundMe. Locals, well, people all over the country were determined to help find this child. And so, yes, an enormous amount of money went into a GoFundMe to hire investigative services. And obviously, that didn't last very long. So then they hired a new investigator. This was Klein Investigative Services uh, out of Texas. And Klein is the one that you've seen in the news a lot Mm -hmm. and, you know, seen more from him. And they also ended up quitting. They stayed in the case two years to their credit. They stayed on until November 15th, 2017. Mm -hmm. But they also left the case because they fully believed that the parents were guilty and fully believed that uh, they were persons, you know, that should have been investigated and weren't. But they finally decided that they absolutely couldn't stay on the case any longer. Uh, Also because Vernal and his father filed suit against them for Mm. telling the public that they felt like they were the ones that that they were responsible for this. They actually took it to court three times. The last time was not too long ago. And all three times the, uh, the investigation firm prevailed. Yeah. So three times they took them to court and sued them for doing their jobs, for reporting what their findings were. After they fired them, the local public around here did have a GoFundMe. They did rehire them for a short amount of time. It didn't really go anywhere, but they did try mm-hmm. to bring them back on because it seemed like Klein Investigations maybe had brought the most to the case, you know, that anybody else did. The problem with that is that if you Google Klein Investigations, their reputation is not shiny. Yeah. Well, and they made a lot of allegations and claims that were never backed up with any um, evidence. I mean, at one point they came out and said, in the next few days, you are going to see arrests in this case. Yeah. We have evidence that the parents are guilty. Yeah. And uh, that was like three years ago. So. Right. They claimed that they turned that evidence over to law enforcement and law enforcement didn't think that it was relevant. Well, they had a bunch of stuff that didn't yeah. you know they found that they there were several cadaver dog searches of the area yeah. and at one point there was a bone found it turned out to be an animal bone at another time there were um cremains found and they found whose mm-hmm. those were and then at another time they said that they had found um a, a a spot that could have potentially been a grave but as far as i know there either was no testing of any of that or there was and it ended up being nothing and so it was never reported to the public but none of the stuff that they say they had ever went anywhere. Yeah. No. There's never been an arrest. There's never been yeah. even the beginning of prosecuting someone for this little boy's disappearance. No, nothing. 
nothing. In a nutshell is Jessica. And so do you want to talk to us about Vernal and then I'll move on to Grandpa? So Vernal or Dior Sr., we're going to call him Vernal. He goes by both names and it's very confusing when he has the same name as as the victim. So Vernal was Jessica's boyfriend, um, and and he was Dior's father. He um, he's an interesting person. My my impression of him is that he's a pretty controlling person. In watching him it, with interviews with him and Jessica together, uh-huh. he spoke over top of her a lot. I will tell you, there's not a lot of information about Vernal personally out there. Uh-huh. I have looked and looked to try to find a wiki on him or something. It just isn't really there. Um, so I don't know a lot about his history, but I know watching his behavior that he spoke over Jessica. He tried to control communication. He definitely wanted to be in charge of what was happening. Uh He spent a lot of time in public, um, singing the praises of the searchers and the police and that kind of stuff. It was Uh just all kind of flattery stuff there wasn't there's not a lot of substance to anything that he has said other than he made a lot of statements about when they went to town so on the day that baby dior goes missing Mm -hmm. at some point around 11 to 12 p.m that day they Mm -hmm. took a trip into letter so this is um vernal jessica and supposedly baby dior they um this whole trip was supposedly precipitated because Jessica started her period and so she needed to go to the store for some things. There's a lot of weird going to the store with them that doesn't Mm -hmm. make any sense to me because in Jessica's handwritten statement to the police, she makes it very clear that she did all of the shopping for the camping the day before they left Mm -hmm. or the day that they left. And she'd been to the store and bought all the groceries and stuff, but then they continually have to stop at stores. What is that really about? I have questions Mm -hmm. about that, but supposedly they go into town to get what they need. And one of the things that they need to do is they need to put diesel in Vernal's pickup. And they tried to do it the night before. And the gas pump where we went uh, was uh-huh. down. And so they couldn't. So they had to go to this mechanic shop that sold diesel. So Vernal said that when they went to the mechanic shop to sell diesel, that he talked to the man that, that pumped the diesel and that the man saw Dior in the truck. Now, uh-huh. the man that pumped the diesel later said, I never saw a child. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh Then they said that they went to the store, the now closed store. Yeah. And that there was a man um, driving a beer truck and and that Dior loves big trucks and that they talked to him and he thought it was so cool. He let little Dior sit in the truck with him and all this stuff. He tells this huge, huge detailed story, right? Which could have been completely unnecessary to tell. Um, Well, they tracked down the delivery guy for that day. I mean, it was part, some of this was like, you really think they're not going to check your story, dude? Right. Well, they did check his story. And the guy's like, yeah, I was there that day. I, he said, it's completely against company policy to let anybody sit in the truck. I would never have done that. And he said, I parked behind the store for deliveries. Uh I don't interact with the customers. I didn't see those people. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. So then they talk about this other man that they talked to, some man with red hair that he talked to forever. Here's the weird thing about that whole trip. Okay, it takes like 40 minutes to drive the eight miles from the gas from the campsite to town. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe a little less in a truck. Maybe a little less in a 40 truck. 40 minutes in a car, in a big truck with big tires. Maybe they did it in 30. Maybe yeah. 30. But I mean, yeah. it's not a fast trip. No. According to, and we're not going to share the timelines because they're so confusing and they're so conflicting. Mm-hmm. But basically, from what they're saying, they spent an hour at that little store. Mm-hmm. Why? It's right. a tiny little store. It's certainly not a place you can um, spend an hour in. Now, they did make two right. purchases in the store. There were receipts for both of those purchases. Mm-hmm. But there is some time loss there. And I think that's a really key part of this story is that mm-hmm. there's lost time there. There, mm-hmm. th- there was no need. They, they were running into the store for a couple things and, and to get the diesel. They could have done that whole thing in 15 minutes and been back out to camp, right? Yeah. And they were out to the camp supposedly later than they had told their grandpa that they would be because he was waiting for them. Um, but D, but Vernal made up all these stories uh-huh. about all of these people that saw baby Dior with them. Yeah. Every literally single, nobody. None of them. 
nobody. There was a None story about the, the creep with a Jeep. Yes, yes. The guy with the Jeep that was supposedly in the store and was staring at Dior the whole time. They made this big mm -hmm. story up about that. It was a Jeep Rubicon. And then this whole thing happened with the Jeep Rubicon where um, there was someone who reported a similar vehicle with a similar man in um, Swan Valley. Okay, we're talking, these places are five, four and a half, five hours apart. Okay, yeah. we've been yeah. to both of them. They're on completely opposite ends of where we live. Yeah. They're not close to each other at all, but that happened oh. the same weekend. And so then people freaked out that there was this person driving around and they were calling him the creep in the Jeep. And they finally eventually found the guy in the Jeep Rubicon and he didn't do anything to anyone. No. Um, but, you know, you got to know this is a tiny little town. There are no surveillance cameras anywhere. No cameras. But the people who work these jobs, they're the same people that work them every day. You know, it's not like there's a lot of employees no. at, at the mechanic shop or at the, sh at the convenience store. So these people, they remember that it's, it's the same people who are going to be seeing these people over and over again. Mm -hmm. And not one of them. They, some of them recall Vernal and Jessica, but not mm -hmm. one of them recalls seeing a little two-year-old boy with them. And, and, and if you've seen the pictures, Dior is an absolutely darling little kid. He was probably yeah, yeah. in a situation like that. He would have been running around and being funny. And, you know, you yeah. would remember him. You would remember yeah. the little kid who was being cute, you know? Yeah. No one okay. in that town remembers that baby. Nobody saw him at all. No. There is to this day no proof whatsoever that that kid was ever in that town or in that campsite. Um, no. So that that told me a lot about Vernal's character right there yeah. that he, and, and these stories change over time. He's told a bunch of different versions of them, but they went back to the people that supposedly saw that baby and none of them ever did. Uh -huh. And, um, you know, Vernal, one of the things that I find interesting in the way that people communicate is not what they say, but what they don't say. And, when Vernal and Jessica were named as suspects, the things that they said, because Jessica said on the news, I did not kill my son. She didn't say, I don't know where my son is. No. She didn't say, I don't know what happened to my son. She said, I didn't uh -huh. kill him. Yeah. When you think about that. Yeah. Vernal said, I would never hurt my child or uh -huh. I would never hurt my son. He didn't say he didn't know where he is. He didn't say he didn't know what happened to him. Yeah. And, you know, accidents happen. You know, basically what he was saying is I would never intentionally harm my child. But right. they left a lot out, Yeah. I think. You know, if that were you, if that were me personally, I would yeah. have said a lot more. I don't know where he is. I don't know what happened to him. I would never yeah. hurt him. You know, I, mm -hmm. they didn't. They They left out things that I would think that a parent that was defending themselves would have said. Um, but I did feel like, and, and, you know, one of the other strange things that happened is that Jessica and D and Vernal both called 911 independent of one another. Yeah. And that Vernal was an hour or a mile and a half away down the road in mm -hmm. his truck, supposedly to get cell service. However, Jessica called 911 in the campsite yeah. with cell service. Yeah. Why did he have to drive a mile and a half down the road to get cell service? We right. had cell service in the camp. We did, we did a, we did a YouTube a live, live. yeah, or a YouTube live. Yeah. I found that very interesting because Jessica calls 911, finds out they're already on the phone with her husband. Mm -hmm. Why? Mm -hmm. Why did that, why were they in separate places calling 911, not at the same time together as the parents of this kid? Yeah. I found that very sketchy. And there were, there are a lot of things in the statement about that day, about Vernal driving down the road and coming back more than once. And I found that interesting. And why? What, what was he doing? Why did he keep coming and going? There were, there were some statements made that he wasn't actually there at the camp when the baby went missing. And then some stories that say that they were fishing together and that he was there. But there are actual some other statements made that he wasn't even in camp when they discovered that he was missing. And if that's the case, where was he? So that's one of the things I find really strange is that there were so many different accounts of where Vernal was at the time that the baby was discovered missing. Mm -hmm. Why did he keep driving down the road and coming back? Mm -hmm. and I still, I can't imagine if my spouse and I discover our child missing, we go searching, we can't find him. Why are we not in the same place at the same time as we call 911? 
Mm-hmm. For them to have called separately, independently, and didn't seem to know that the other one was calling. Mm-hmm. It's weird. My only thought on that had been if, if he drove down the road looking for him. But a mile and a half? Right. Well, and Jessica's statement was that he drove down the road to get cell service. And yet mm-hmm. she called 911 in the campground with cell service. Yeah. Like, so, so many I mean, on one hand. Won't do not add up. Right. I mean, on one hand, did they just panic? You know, Right. Maybe, Which I, I think is know, possible. But, yeah. But it doesn't, baby Dior being in camp that whole day doesn't really track. Mm-mm. There's lots of stories about what time everybody woke up, if they did or didn't make breakfast, what people were doing that day. None of it adds up. But let's well, and none of it really at- includes baby Dior. No. Like in all those timelines, you don't actually see, oh, Dior was doing this or Dior was taking a nap or he was playing over here. He's not in the timeline. No. It's weird. It is weird. Well, let's take a look at Grandpa. Okay. So Grandpa's name was Bob Walton. Mm -hmm. And he was old. He was 76. He was confused. He was on oxygen. You know, Jessica and uh, Vernal had been taking care of him. He wasn't in great shape. Now, supposedly, this camping trip was his idea, and he had invited Isaac without letting them know that he had invited Isaac, uh, which, again, you know, everything that we've been told about this case, you have to take with a big grain of salt. Right, because uh, everybody told a different story about why they went on this camping trip and why they went to this place. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing Isaac says is that Bob had been drinking a lot of whiskey on this trip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, there's question there that there was also some questions about you know that at one point while people were searching for a little dior that uh the parents were sitting on the tailgate of the truck drinking beer and so i i've had a question all along about how much substance abuse was happening here you mm-hmm. know how sober were these people in charge of this little two-year-old and we can get onto that later but um they also said that the reason they came to this place because i have always wondered why the hell would they go there you know, there's so much better camping way closer. Yeah, this is a tough place to get to really long ways from home. Why would you go there? And it's not I mean, it's one little tiny oasis in a lot of desert. It's not a nice mm-hmm. place, really. really but, isn't, no. Sorry, Ledor. Don't want to hurt your feelings. But, no, but if, <laughs> I mean, if you live in Ledor, sure. But if you live in Idaho yeah. Falls. Why? Why? Well, grandpa apparently camped here when he was a kid. And had happy memories here. And that's why. Or so the story goes. That's one of the stories. Mm-hmm. But that's why they camped here. All right. So Grandpa in interviews with the police. And uh, he also failed lie detector tests. Everyone in this case failed lie detector tests. All four of them. Except for Isaac Reinwand. He didn't. Okay. I had read that he actually did. But his story never really changed. He told the same mm-hmm. story, but he did fail a polygraph. But oh, I I don't know. I it, the the information on the story is so hard because mm-hmm. what I read is that he never failed one. Yeah, but there's so many. Who knows? And and what, what does it really matter? Because why why are we putting any stock in polygraphs anyway? Right. Well, and here we have Grandpa, who's you know obviously you know cognitive skills maybe are really re- reduced, but right in interviews with him, he refuses to speculate about it. He laughs when he's asked about the case and basically yeah. blows it off. At, he claims he doesn't trust Isaac, which is odd, considering that he's the one that invited him to come and camp with his two-year-old grandson. And he also claims that no one ever asked him to watch Dior, that he doesn't know why they keep saying that. And he claims that he was alive on the trip. And that's about all that you can get out of Bob. Mm-hmm. He says a lot of, that's what I hear, and I guess, kind of yes, stuff, right? Yes, in the Klein interview, he said, uh, they asked him why, if he doesn't trust Isaac, why he would bring him. And he said, or, or you know, why he's his friend. It, it is weird, because Bob is 76, and Isaac is in his 30s. Yeah. And, but he says, if you get too old, you want someone to be there in case you keel over. But, you know, they're neighbors and whatever. I, well, I guess they're neighbors, or they're, they were they former They had neighbors. been neighbors, former they neighbors. Former yeah. neighbors, yeah. Anyway, but he does say he doesn't trust Isaac to stay in his house, watch his kids, or to not steal his money. So Mm -hmm. there's a weird vibe there with him and Isaac. But at any rate, yeah, when most of the questions that he asks, or asked of him, sorry, in interviews, he answers with something like, that's what I hear, or 
I don't know. I guess so. Really nothing. I mean, he just didn't really cooperate at all mm-hmm. and was not forthcoming with any kind of information, really. Uh, he died in 2019 from cancer. And so yeah. if Bob Walton actually had any true information about what happened to baby Dior, it died with him. Yeah. However, it certainly feels like it would be very possible to uh, just tell him what you want him to say and that he would do it. He was not cooperative at all. I think so. Uh, it, it did seem to me like he was just pretty protective yeah. of his family and he just wasn't going to say anything. And, you know, who's going to make him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't actually think he really knew. I, I think he knew something happened, you know, mm-hmm. he obviously knew something happened. It was a little more like he didn't want to know so yeah. that he could just deny. Exactly. Because yeah. if he didn't know anything. Yep. So that's grandpa in a nutshell. So what have you got on Isaac? So Isaac is interesting. So Isaac is this friend of Bob. Really, no one understands why he was invited on this trip. He has been fishing with Bob before. They've done some things like this before in the past. So I wonder if at some point Bob kind of took Isaac under his wing a little bit. Isaac is pretty obviously an adult with a developmental disability. Mm -hmm. But I find Isaac interesting because in in the interview that uh, Nate Eaton did with him on East Idaho News, Isaac is a very self-focused person. Nate's very first question to him was, so in the last six months since all this happened, how you been doing? You know, obviously implying this must be really hard for you to be, you know, involved in this and included in this missing child. And Isaac goes, oh, pretty bored. There's not much to do around Idaho Falls. And it was yeah. such a strange answer. And it, every answer he gave in that interview was very much focused on himself and how these things were affecting him personally. Uh-huh. Yeah. He did not indicate that he gave a damn about baby Dior or about Jessica or about um, Vernal. And, you know, he, when asked if he was friends with Walton, he said, Oh, I haven't seen him all winter. You know, like he was very blase. He wouldn't answer anything specific and said he'd been asked by police and his attorney not to, we don't know if that's true or not. Klein investigations um, implied that that was a lie. But, you know, he basically, when asked if he saw Baby Dior there, he said yes. And 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 Nate said, can you give me some examples? And he said, well, I saw him the night we got there. And then one other time he was throwing stuff in the fire. Yeah. Okay. I, I want to, do you know what the word confabulation is? Mm, no. So confabulation, it's something that we all do. It's when our brain fills in the blanks when we don't remember something. So okay. we might fill in the blanks with the most plausible thing that happened or what happened the last time something happened, right? Yeah. For people with mental illness and developmental disabilities, confabulation gets much broader. Um, First of all, for a person like Isaac, who's pretty focused on himself and pretty tunnel visioned about his life, he's pretty much just focusing on himself and what he wants to do. It was very clear he wasn't paying any attention to these other people at all. So... With confabulation, if somebody, you know, has a developmental disability or a mental illness, this becomes much broader. So if they don't remember, and they don't remember a lot more of things Mm -hmm. than most people, you know, depending on what their disability is, they will fill in the blanks um, because they don't want people to know they don't remember. Often it is, um, you know, sort of motivated by feeling like they want to fit in or they don't want people to know they forgot or they don't want someone to be mad at them. My impression of Isaac is that he's a confabulator. Uh And I do feel like somebody, people who have a problem with confabulation are very easily manipulated. Mm -hmm. So they can, you can say something like, don't you remember Dior was here who's throwing stuff in the fire. And, and all that would take was you just planted that memory in that person's head, literally. And then they would, or don't you remember you saw him last night? I had him wrapped up in his blanket. Mm-hmm. Boom, implanted the memory. Yeah. I, I feel like for him, he didn't want to be in trouble. Mm-hmm. He really didn't want to be involved in this. He refused to give an interview for six months. I mean, he really stayed back from the whole situation. And then when he did, my impression is he was just kind of telling a story based on what he thought other people wanted to hear mm-hmm. and not on what really happened. And I, I do feel like he was uh, vulnerable to manipulation, probably by Walton, but maybe also by 
by Vernal and Jessica if he didn't want people to be mad at him. Uh-huh. But my impression was that those were two things that were very easy to say. Oh, yeah, I saw him wrapped in his blanket and I saw him throwing stuff in the fire. Uh-huh. If you said those things to him, remember, he was doing blah, blah, blah. And if he was off in his own little world, he was doing a lot of fishing in that uh-huh. fishless creek. And, um, well, and supposedly kind of, he was in a tent. Yes. And that was the other thing. Everyone stayed separately in the camp, which I found interesting. So grandpa was in the camper. Vernal and Jessica and baby Dior were in grandpa's suburban. They laid the seats down and they were sleeping there. And then he was in a tent. So they were all separate from one another. So there were lots of times when they wouldn't have known what the other person, the other people were doing anyway. And there were lots of questions about what time they all got up. They couldn't even agree on whether or not they all got up, whether they made breakfast and ate together. They couldn't agree on that. Um, I don't think that we can take anything that Isaac says as being truthful or for what happened. Mm -hmm. And now law enforcement is saying, well, he's the only one with a consistent story. That's kind of why I feel that way, honestly. But I don't, I feel like he was very focused on himself and what he was doing. I don't think he gives a damn. That my impression is he doesn't care at all. You know, um, Nate Eaton said, well, do you want baby Dior to be found? And he goes, well, yeah. You know, it just, there was just no emotion behind it. There was, <laughs> can you imagine being present for a child going missing and what, yeah. how that might tear you up and you rack your brain for what you remember doing and seeing. And there was none of that in him, no emotional no. connection to this at all. And no. I found that really troubling. Agreed. Um, yeah. And I, I do feel like, I don't know that you can really take much stock in what he had to say. Mm-hmm. I, I suspect that. that he's a person that um, really stays focused on what he's doing and what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. And everything else is just sort of noise on the edges and uh-huh. that he wasn't really paying attention. And they truly mm-hmm. probably didn't even know. Yep. Absolutely. And I think they knew that he didn't know, you know, mm-hmm. I don't think that he witnessed anything. I don't think Mm-mm. he really did know. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and so, yeah, it was easy to just, Kind of go, well, this is how, this is what happened, you know? Yeah. Well, and at one point he did say something about that there was an accident and then he rolled that back. Mm-hmm. That's the most he ever said. Yeah. Um, but very, a very interesting person, you know, but just not, I don't feel like not reliable. And that's the problem. I don't think any of them are. No. None of them are reliable. What, no. how are you, you cannot get the truth out of these people. You never will. No. And without finding an actual body. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And the public has been outraged. Yes. Outraged that there has never been an arrest. The public has been, they still are, you know. Oh yeah. There Even were just now. vigils on the 10th of July for the five-year yeah. anniversary. And there there was a lot of action in the area mm-hmm. regarding this case. Mm-hmm. And searches well, they research every year. Yep, every year. And people are still furious that this case has gone cold and that there's nothing. There's a new sheriff in Ledor that because a lot of people were very unhappy with the old sheriff and the way he handled this case. But the new sheriff honestly has nothing to go on, mm-hmm. you know. And so at this point, this is just a cold case for, you know, all of the reasons we outlined. So that's that's it. I mean, if you really want to dig way down the rabbit hole of this case and, and we, you know, in three episodes, we can't we could do 10 episodes on this case. And honestly, and all it does is just to. spin you in a circle. Like, it's yeah. not even worth it. I watched so not. much stuff yesterday that's so conflicting that's really mm-hmm. aggravating. But if you really, if you want to go to a site that has a lot of good information and you want to watch a pile of interviews and check it all out, because some of you might, it is, there's a website called justiceforbabydior.com. And Dior is D-E-O-R-R. So and if you're wondering, that's a kind of common name in Idaho. <laughs> I'm yeah, sure people are like, I've never heard that name before. Yeah. But justiceforbabydior.com. That is actually, that site I felt like had a lot of really valuable information. Mm-hmm. And links to just about every interview and video that's been done, mm-hmm. you know. In, you can uh, also go to eastidahonews.com mm-hmm. and they search their I- archive on Dior Coons because they mm-hmm. covered it from day one and they've got some really good stuff. Yeah. So if you want to fall deep down the rabbit hole and give, you know, a few days up for this, you know, that's, that's how you do it. (laughs) So that's, that's it for the second episode here on this case. When we come back with this case, we're going to do our psychic evaluation of the case. Uh, You know, we've really started that today, I think, but uh, we'll give our psychic read on what we think really happened and where we actually think 
baby Dior is. And that, that will be coming next time. So mm-hmm. that's it. So as always, we thank you guys so much for being with us here. If you're listening or watching, please subscribe, comment, like, dislike, whatever. We can take it. <laughs> Comments, questions, uh, throw them our way. And as always, if you have a case you'd like to see us cover, let us know. Yeah, uh, but this, that's it. So you've been listening to True Crime Paranormal here with the Psychic Sisters. You guys take care. Bye. Have a good one. If you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can always like and subscribe there as well. We also love comments and reviews. True Crime Paranormal is hosted by Katie Weaver and Christy Brower and produced by Christy Brower. True Crime Paranormal is a short girl productions podcast.